Hello, it's Pete here and welcome to EdTech Innovators. Ever thought of teaching abroad? Maybe in Qatar in the Middle East? Well, let's listen to the people who've been doing it for a few years. We have Dwight Weir and Darren Good, both of whom are senior leaders in a school in Doha in Qatar. We also have Michael Heverin, who owns a supply agency called Supplywell. Before we start, it must be said that the views expressed in this podcast are personal views and do not reflect the views of the schools in which Darren and Dwight work. Okay, so thank you very much for coming along. Uh, so we have Michael Hevering with us from Supplywell, and what Dwight and Darren are going to do is talk to us about um, their schools. So they work in, they work in in Qatar, how they got there, and between the four of us, we'll talk about the uh, potential benefits of working abroad, um, and of course the realistic expectations that you you need to know about. So uh, by the end of this uh, podcast, you should have some really helpful information about uh, whether you should work abroad. And maybe even you might feel jealous of your uh, peers who've taken a job in the UK. So um, let's start off by introducing ourselves, if that's okay with you. So I'll, I'll go clockwise according to what, what I can see. So Mike, if you could be so kind as to introduce, introduce yourself. Thanks, Pete. My name is Mike Everin, um, co-founder of Supplywell and former teacher um, and senior leader in schools for uh, 12 or so years. That's me. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And uh, Dwight? And I'm Dwight Weir. I currently work as part of a senior team out here in one of the biggest schools in Qatar. Right. Okay. And Darren? Hi, I'm Darren Good. Um, I'm an assistant principal for Pastoral Care, uh, currently working in Qatar, hmm. originally from London. Originally from? London. London, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, th- I mean, that, that's given me another question, actually, Darren, about the pastoral side of, uh, of life out in, out in Qatar, but we can come to that later on. Um, okay. So I don't want to sort of slavishly follow the questions that we um, have been given, but uh, let's start with, with this. Um, really, some general things about, um, before we go specific, we'll have some general things about you know, your experience about uh, teaching um, you know, in a different country. And um, so, I mean, how does how does it feel today uh, to be in Qatar and knowing that many of the colleagues that you left behind are, are in the UK? I mean, I'll kick off, Darren. It, it's rather interesting, a mixture of being in a different culture and, of course, being online, being offline. And I mean, all of us across the globe, we've had such a mix of experience teaching within this coronavirus period. I mean, it's been good. I mean... We've only just gone back into lockdown in terms of pupils all online. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in, in a few weeks, we're told that pupils will need to return. It, it was a rough start at the start of the academic year, because at that point, uh, we weren't sure what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. But eventually, we got our heads around it. We, we were now fantastically equipped to deliver lessons through Google Classroom and pupils. I mean, we're, we're living in an age where pupils are more tech advanced than we are. And so they find it pretty easy to access our resources. It's just a little bit more challenging when you get to those pupils who need that extra help and they're not physically in the classroom for you to give that one-on-one, but we, we've we've conquered it. We've conquered it and still working on that. Okay, yeah. And I suppose um, segueing into what we wanted to 
talk about with the pastoral side of things, um, Darren, if that's okay. So how, how is it for you? And let, let's also talk about how you're supporting your pupils um, pastorally. Yeah, it's been a huge challenge because um, one of the uh, main things about, about school life is building community, isn't it? And, and having uh, people coexist together. And I think particularly for pastoral care leaders, it's been a challenge because we're not quite sure how do you do that in a virtual space. Um, so I think, yes, there's been a lot of innovation in terms of pedagogy, teaching and learning and stuff, but I, I think perhaps there's been more innovation around pastoral care. Mm. Uh, certainly bigger changes perhaps, maybe rather than more innovation. I, I, so just a couple of things that we've done, like we, we've continued with our student council online, meeting virtually, um, we started a virtual film club, which is really good. Um, that was really well attended. It just helped to, to bind the school community together a bit. Um, we've uh, done things around PE, like I'm not sure if you're aware of Strava, but um, it's like a kind of online platform where um, you can engage in certain physical activities. And you can clock up miles and I guess that helps kids to work towards some kind of corporate or collective goal. Um, so that's been one of our main challenges really. And also supporting students who's maybe facing certain uh, mental well-being or psychological well-being challenges, being isolated, being online and stuff. So our school counselors have been invaluable um, and I know in the UK, it's, it's not common practice to have school councillors. I know a lot of school councillors got cut as certain local authority budgets got cut and things like that. Whereas I found this quite common here, which is, which is really good because I think a lot has been built on the uh, American model as well. And I know school councillors um, feature quite prominently in American schools. Mm. So they've been really um, uh, fundamental during this stage. Mm. Um, sorry, sorry, sorry Mike, can I ask a quick question there? Is, so coming from the, the majority of people listening to this will have had relatively short or limited experiences of teaching within the UK. Um, and certainly from our experiences from when we worked together, Dwight and Darren, we, we taught in an area of, of quite high deprivation where the level of challenge was very specific in terms of the pastoral care that was needed for those those children within that community. Is it markedly different, a different type of pastoral care that's required when you go to teach abroad in, in an area such as Qatar? Good question. Do you want to take that one first, Dwight? Or? Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll chip in. I think it, it's slightly skewed to an extent because of course, when you think about Qatar, it's, it's one of the wealthiest nations on the planet. And the, the kind of pastoral care that you'll need to deliver is somewhat different because you'll come across pupils who might not be as motivated as those we came across in London, those pupils who knew that, listen, I need to get a good education in order to go on to university. Uh, and this is not for all students in Qatar, really, but you do have a few who will might not be as aspirational because they know that they're born into wealth. And so it's more about, you know, just going through the system and then 
being able to just get the qualification to say they've gone through secondary school. But of course, we do have other pupils from other countries who are also living in Qatar who are very aspirational, who work really hard. So in terms of the pastoral care we offer, it still simulates just about, you know, still motivating pupils is still having a similar structure with tutors and having careers counselling and, and all that like like Darren spoke about but it, it's slightly skewed but majority and again it depends on the school you're in because if you're in a school that's mainly of local pupils you'll find that the challenge is different from a school that's more international where you have expat kids mm. uh, attending so it will be different according to the school you're in. Interesting sorry. I think one of the biggest differences you'll find is uh, probably around legislation as well and I think you, you hit a key point there, Mike, around, like, you know, when you look at certain areas in London, like indices of deprivation and stuff like that, the consequences or the ramifications of that are, are huge. And I, I guess the knock-on effects of poverty, um, deprivation. Um, so because of that, a lot of legislation has been created around child protection, for instance. Um, and that idea of the team around the child and local authorities being involved in stuff. And you, you wouldn't find as much in this particular context anyway. This is brilliant. I haven't even got to my list of questions yet. This is, this is fantastic. I've got another one too, because I think, um, you know, you, well, Darren and Dwight, you're both senior leaders, of course, in a school. And uh, Mike, you've been a senior leader in the school and now you're leading your own company. And Let's think um, tactically, if I, if I may, then for the early career teachers, how can they start to build leadership roles, you know, to position themselves as future leaders when they start their new job? And I'm, I'm thinking partly about what you've been saying about the, you know, specific support that needs to be in place for, for pupils because in, in light of COVID. Yeah, I'm happy to kick off with this one. And yeah, thanks, Clockwise now. Um, yeah. Building leadership capacity, I think there are lots of opportunities here. I, I'm not sure if you'd agree to that, Dwight. Maybe you can chip in afterwards. But certainly, I would say there are perhaps more leadership opportunities here and even informal leadership opportunities as well. Um, I've always been a firm believer in, in honing the classroom practice first um, and leading in that domain before you take on... Uh, significant responsibilities like I know middle leadership or um, you know key stages head, head of department that kind of thing um, so I, I would always recommend that first and especially for those on, on the PGCE schools direct any kind of skip program um, that temptation to jump into things you know you might get a financial increment but I would home class first, um, especially in this context as well, because the some of the structures robust as in the UK. So I was looking at the career framework, the new career framework, and it looks brilliant. I mean, you know, if I had this when, you know, I, I guess we all say that, you know, if we had that in my day, um, <laughs> kind of thing, um, but it really looks good. And the money is there as well to, to support. So it's not just, you know, schools have to do this now without building capacity. Um, so it's, you've got to think about trade-offs. You grow a leader very quickly, 
or do you know do you want to hold back a bit in the classroom practice to give belt you know, stuff like that mm. yeah it, it's interesting sorry I, I thought you froze so I do apologize uh, Darren um, if I interrupted you you froze um, yeah it's interesting that you know hopefully the early career framework might actually speed up those um, you know those leadership roles that people might be interested in with the additional support that we we hope will be, will be in place yeah um, and what we could say yeah Dwight I was just going to say, I totally agree with Darren in terms of owning your skills in the classroom. I think we are all leaders in our own rights. You know, you're leading whatever situation you're in charge. So, for example, as a tutor, if you're looking to go down the posture route, you want to make sure you're the best tutor within your within your year group. And it's about understanding who you are as a leader and making sure you understand the basics before. Because, of course, as soon as you move into senior leadership, somehow you're teaching you might not give as much focus on your teaching because you might need to run from one meeting to another meeting and if you're not a strong teacher the kids will pick that up and then your lesson will start to go down the drain so it's about understanding who you are as a teacher develop those skills and understand that you as a leader should be able to just run with whatever you're given and, and that's quite crucial that as Darren has suggested yeah and um Mike, given your experience, you know, obviously you're doing something different uh, now working in, in recruitment with SupplyWell, but um, when you were leading up to um, being a senior leader, um, what qualities were you, were you, did you have to demonstrate to get there, do you feel? I think um, there's a couple of things around that. I think without wanting to sound negative with it, I think that one quality that young tip, my mentor said to me, and these words still ring true in my ear, and absolutely fantastic. A uh, chap called Steve Owen, and he said to me on the, on the last day of my placement, on my second placement with PGC, he said, if you only remember two things from me, the first one is never volunteer for anything because you'll have enough to do. You've got enough to focus on, enough to work on when you're going into your, your first year as, as a teacher. Um, and the second thing is always make sure your flyers up when you get out of the car in the car park. And he said, if you remember those two things, he said, you won't go far wrong. And I pretty much stuck to that, that, that ring very, that rung true with me throughout the majority of my career. Towards the latter end of my career, once I'd taken on middle leader experience, um, and then I started to move into senior leadership, that was when I, I just completely abandoned that advice, not doing my fly up, but not volunteering for things. And, and I had this, and Dwight and Darren and, and Pete as well, you've probably seen this as well. The, the nature of a teacher is that inability to say no because we want to help and we want to be able to add value and i think it's really important for you as an individual to be able to be okay with saying no to something when you're asked if you don't think that it will um add value or if you think that it will, will take you away from doing something properly to the best of your ability and that's absolutely okay um to, to be all right with saying yeah do you know what? i can't actually do that and, and difficult to balance that pressure of, well, if I say no, is that going to make me not look like a team player? How is that going to be perceived? And I think it's being comfortable and articulate and confident enough to be able to, and, and strong willed enough to be able to say, actually, that's not right for me right now. Um, and I think that will only help in terms of enabling you to be sustainable throughout your career and, and to have longevity mm. and to have bright moments for you also. Yeah, and, and just to continue that advice, um, and then Darren, um, so, if, so if I say no, I could come across as negative or unambitious, couldn't I? So uh, what, what would you say to, to that? Because obviously, as Mike says, it is, you know, if you're a survivor, you've got to say no to things, otherwise you'd be overwhelmed. So how can, how can you ensure that you don't come across as negative or unambitious? 
I think what Mike said is pretty clear. You just need to be articulate and say why, you know, because you don't want to take too much on and then sink. However, on the opposite, I remember when I was a young teacher, because I had a career plan, I volunteered for loads of things. So at least I could get a few things under my belt so I could speak articulately when I'm at an interview in terms of why I deserve to get the job. So it's about finding the balance and understanding who you are, knowing exactly what you can manage. And that's absolutely crucial. Know what you can manage, have your career plan and articulately say no and explain why you're saying no. It's not right for me at this time because it's what I'm focusing on. However, give me another year and then I'll take this on. So it's how it's presented. Nice time frame, yeah. Yeah, and the, remembering the power of two words, not yet. So sometimes it's not just a flat out no, it's a not yet. On, and remembering that you have some agency in the situation as well. So it might be a negotiation. Okay, would you like to take on this responsibility? Yes, but or how could we make this work? It might be a job shift. Um, so you can bring some creativity to the offer because I, I, at the same time, I also like to take opportunities because I think, you know, even, even if you fail at them, there, there's always a lesson in there. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say, you know, that's your default position of no, but yeah, saying right, sorry, yes to the right opportunities, being able to negotiate the opportunity and being able to say not yet. Interesting. Okay, can we move on to accommodation then, finding a place to live? So, I mean, obviously we're aware of London as a particularly thorny issue with uh, the price of uh, accommodation and so on, but uh, can you talk us through um, the issues surrounding a place to live, um, specifically in Qatar, I suppose? Um, do you get some support? Do you get some help with this? I'll kick off. Um, it, again, it depends on the school you work with. Uh, but if you're a new teacher joining, accommodation is provided because, of course, we don't expect you to arrive here searching for accommodation. So that is part of the package. And we tend to house staff in areas geographically close to where they work. So you don't have to travel very far for work. So we do offer accommodation for new staff coming through. And the longer you're here, then you'll be able to negotiate and then get a rent stipend or, or, or some sort of uh, funding to pay for your rent instead of living in staff accommodation. Mm, okay. Anything to add there, Darren? No, I think you've covered it all the way. Yeah. Okay, so what about moving back to the UK? So, um, so obviously, um, is, is it fair to say that um, not that many early career teachers would want to stay in somewhere to stay abroad and go into leadership roles? They would want to do it for, for a short period of time. Is it, would, would you agree with that? It, it varies in my school because, as Darren said earlier, you know, leadership opportunities do come up quickly. And because we work in a situation where uh, we're not permanent, we work on a yearly, the, the, the contract is renewed on a yearly basis, you tend to find people go and come. And as a result, opportunities do come up. And so I do have teachers who are in their first and second year who have applied for head of department positions and head of year positions. And so if that opportunity comes up, and if you think you're ready, I think that is something you should definitely go for. But of course, it's about still connecting what's going on in the UK, because when you return to the UK, you want to be abreast. You want to be able to speak about what's going on there and not just keep your head down in, in, in what you're doing in Qatar. Mm. Yeah, just to follow on from what you said there, Dwight, I, I think that's really critical that um, teachers coming over here, 
not just new teachers, I guess any teacher really, but continue to have a connection to the UK, um, keeping abreast of you know, current research, pedagogy, um, developments in curriculum. Um, I think that's really important. And it, it's never really been easier, has it, in terms of you know, social media, Twitter, and you know, LinkedIn, all, all of these other platforms. Um, so yeah, keep, keep, definitely keep a, a link to the UK, I would say. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's your question, wasn't it, Mike? Because the, the fear is that um, you know, if I go abroad for a year, I, I will be less employable when I come back to the UK. Right, that, that's the fear, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's, I think people can perhaps stay too long. Um, I, I think if you've got a clear plan in your mind of maybe, okay, I'm going to spend the first couple of years out here, maybe, I don't know, chipping away at some, some, some get and, and getting the experience of international teaching at mm. the same time. Um, I, th I think it's good to have a, a kind of tenure in mind because you know it, it can get very comfortable um you know accommodations provide for things like that um you know 365 days of sunshine of varying degrees um from hot to extremely hot sometimes uh, <laughs> too, so, too hot to go out is that best thing <laughs> yeah mm. Yeah, I think I'm just going to say it's a mixture of things, because if I were a head teacher in the UK, I would want to employ someone who has been overseas because you come back with a lot of experience. But whilst you're away overseas, it's about making sure that, as we talked about earlier, keeping abreast of what's going on in the UK and making sure there's some sort of progression. You don't want to stay out here for 15 years just as a teacher, because then you return to the UK. That would not be impressive, really. You want to make sure that if you're here for a period of time, that you're gaining experience in different areas. So at least when you go back to the UK, you can talk about the work you've done. And I think head teachers in the UK just need to be more open minded and, and take on the risk, because I think if, if you've gone overseas, hopefully you'd have developed grit. You'd have learned to, to I mean, collaborate with other individuals who've worked in other countries overseas. You, you return with a lot more than I think you, you left the UK with. And of course, you're able to do your NQT year out here if you're in a school that is considered to be a British school overseas. Mm. Okay, now let's move on to um, what's even scarier than trying to find accommodation is uh, Ofsted, as uh, Mike uh, asked. So, um, so firstly, uh, Mike, um, your memories of, of Ofsted and how early career teachers should, should view Ofsted. Um, I mean, should they fear Ofsted or uh, see it as a, a positive thing or, or what? I, I don't, I, I think that, that purely depends on the context of the school that you teach in um, and, in, and how that leadership team would then in, interpretate, uh, in, in, interpret the, um, the Ofsted framework and how they look to meet that and then how that does that mature down to the teachers. I think um, my early memories of Ofsted are, are kind of, I don't know, you, you feel a little bit like a rabbit in the headlights in some respect because it's this overbearing kind of mythical, you know, group of people who come to the school and actually tell you, are you doing it right, basically. Um, and, and that can be quite fearful for, for early, uh, early career teachers. Um, that was certainly my experience of it um, because I was just so desperate to not let anybody down was was kind of my own kind of take on it. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's a tricky one. So where where you are, Dwight and Darren, is is there an, an equivalent 
Ofsted, is there Ofsted if it's a, a British school abroad? How, how does that work? Do you want to say that on, Darren? Yeah, sure. Um, yes, there's uh, a national uh, inspector or, or inspection body, um, which is called QNSA, uh, Qatar National Standards of Education or Accreditation, something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, so, is it as influential or uh, how can I put it? Uh, overbearing as Ofsted, perhaps, perhaps not. It's not as prescriptive as Ofsted. I know Ofsted have become less prescriptive as the years have gone on, but there, there certainly is uh, an inspectorate body. Um, I know there's one in Dubai as well. Yeah. I, I would assume that, uh, you know, nearly all uh, uh, international um, uh, teaching uh, bodies have, have some kind of inspection, national inspection framework. Mm. And if I just go back to what Mike said earlier, it's about the leadership team. If the leadership team create the atmosphere that you fear Ofsted, of course, staff will then fear Ofsted. It's about having that kind of culture to say to staff, you know, they're just here to check what we're doing really. And, and if you have that action plan, you're working towards your able to you're working towards what you need to do, then it shouldn't be something you fear. And I think it boils down as well to the personnel who are the inspectors that also have some bearing to do with it, uh, have some bearing on it as well. As Darren has said, of course, we do have QNSA, Qatar National School Accreditation. And what they do, they go into schools to check that the quality of education is what they expect it to be. And if a school has what's called QNSA, it means in that if you're local, you're able, you're given sponsorship to get into a school that's not a Qatar school. So I currently work in a British curriculum school. It means that we need to get QNSA in order for local students to get sponsorship in order to be part of uh, the British education. If you are a local, then you could just go to a local school and those schools are run somewhat differently. I talked a little bit earlier about uh, getting your uh, working towards your NQT year here whilst you're in Qatar, your school needs to have what's called BSO, which is British School Overseas Status. And it means then that it's, it's a variety of checklists that uh, schools need to show that we're performing similar to a level as if we were in the UK. And so you do have different organizations that will offer that kind of accreditation. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So. You can do your early career at ECT, the it's called now, isn't it, uh, in a school abroad, certainly in Qatar. Uh, and I'll ask this one to you, Dwight, because I know you mentioned that you might be recruiting, you are uh, wanting to recruit quite soon. Um, this is Mike's idea, so apologies in advance. What about money? Um, um, so um, these are wonderful student teachers, are they going to feel slightly better off than they would be back in the UK? Well, again, it depends on what you're looking for. And I think if you... Going overseas is always, I think, usually better for teachers who are just starting or those who are very experienced, because if you're just starting, you're almost starting from a blank page, really. And so you're just entering the profession. And so it's easy to get in and therefore salary is at the starting level. And again, salary, it, it depending on the school you're working in, because there is no salary scale here like we have in the UK. So it's different schools offer whatever they think is appropriate. And of course, the better you are, then you're able to negotiate your salary and then you, you'll be able to have that discussion with the owners. And then of course, the senior team will then need to support your, uh, your application 
if you so wish to uh, get a better salary. But however, when you think about whatever else comes with the package is pretty great. It means your salary is tax free. So the only thing you need to pay for if you're working in my school is your own mobile phone bill and food. We provide transportation. So we pick you up from where you live. We take you to school and we take you back. Uh, we fly you out here and we fly you back home at the end of each academic year. Uh, utility bills, we pay for all of those. So the only thing you need to worry about is what you're going to eat and the mobile phone calls you make. Everything else is provided. So if you look at what you're offered and then look at what you will need to fork out and spend on, then it, it's a pretty interesting, it's a pretty good package. But again, whatever is offered at my school might very well be different to what's offered at Darren School. Mm -hmm. And if I could, uh, in fact, sticking with uh, Dwight, if I may, I'll ask a, a slightly cheeky question. Uh, I'll be like that cheeky interview, interviewee that you might have. Um, <laughs> um, do you think that in uh, Qatar you're more likely or less likely to be able to negotiate on, on pay? So if you, you know, your reference is fantastic, you've got you know, really good reference from both your financial and from university, you're looking like you're really quality, your micro teacher was, was wonderful. Um, do you think that you're more, more likely to get uh, a bit more money in, in Qatar to negotiate than you are in the UK? I mean, you wouldn't be able to negotiate before you arrive. You can, you need to come and prove yourself, first of all. So if you come with a glowing reference with all outstanding, you'll need to prove yourself because of course unlike the UK you go for an interview we see you teach a lot of the times it's about having those probing questions in an interview to find out the quality of teacher you are and so until you get here and that's why we have a probation or a period as well you need to come prove yourself prove that you can get those grades prove that you can develop those relationships and then you can have some sort of negotiation towards the end Darren one of the things um listeners do need to be aware of is that there's no national scale so in the UK, you know, there's, there's a national scale and then you've got local variations of that. So in, in some sense, you may be, you're pretty much guaranteed an increment. So if you start on M1, for, for instance, you will go through M2, so on and so forth, until you go to UPS up a baseline. There's nothing like that here. Um, so it depends on the school and some schools have no spine. Um, so you, you have to be aware that you could find yourself stuck, that you may not get a leadership position, you may not be able to negotiate a higher salary. So it's just something to be aware of. It might not necessarily be a drawback, because as Dwight said, you've got various expenses paid for you. Um, uh, I'm not sure if you in, in, included in that, Dwight, you meant the nightclubs as well. You said everything's paid for. Um, <laughs> <laughs> More of that later, I'm afraid. <laughs> the package he's working on. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, nobody's going to live like a caveman. Um, uh, maybe Dwight with that beard. But, um, <laughs> oh, <there is>. oh. <laughs> sorry, Dwight, I'm sorry. No, that's um, right. Are you worried? <laughs> but uh, yeah, you want to live. And I, I've, I've seen over the two years, coming on three years now, I've seen food inflation. Um, especially because so much is important. You do need to be aware of the cost of living. There are cheaper places to live as well, where you might get comparable salary and comparable um, benefits package as well. Mm. Okay, so before we uh, drill down into social life, in fact, sorry, uh, Mike, you can add something and then I'll ask you about uh, social life as a, as a well, teacher in the UK too. Yeah, we, we'll come on to that later. I'd, well, Battersea was the best social life that, that we ever had uh, as a teacher, and that was absolutely incredible. But, Maybe that's for a, a different podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I remember um, 
do I something you just mentioned then in terms of there's a probationary period? What, how long does that probationary period last? Um, you know, is, is there kind of a, a, would you be assigned a mentor within the school that can kind of, how does that work when you go over, you arrive, you, you get your own classroom and, and, and off you go. How does that probation period last? You know, can you cut it short? Because it's not going to be for everybody. And you've probably seen people who turn up all guns blazing and after three weeks think, ooh, this isn't for me. Yeah. I mean, the probation period lasts for three months. So we start late August. So by somewhere along November, you would be told exactly uh, if, if you've passed your probationary period. But of course, you're in a department and the head of department, of course, is responsible for you and then support you. And then, of course, you're paired up with another member of the team. When you start, we try and observe teachers within the first few weeks they arrive just to make sure that we're giving you support. You won't get to the end of a probationary period and we say to you, well, you haven't been successful. We observe you. So we do have that scale where we observe you in the first few weeks where we pop into your lesson, see how you're doing. And if we realize that there's a need for you to improve, then we'll put together some sort of support plan for you. We'll identify where you've gone, what the areas you need to work on. We'll set up to make sure you go and see staff who are doing uh, who are doing things well or the areas that you need to work on. So it's not a case of you worrying that, of course, you won't pass probation or a period. We have very few staff who don't pass. and we make sure we put the support in place to help staff. I think as long as you understand the culture and I think it's very helpful working in an international school because majority of the staff in your school will be foreigners as well. And so you will develop that kind of relationship in my school. Quite a lot of the staff are from the UK. We also have staff from other countries as well, but it's about you understanding what we're looking for in your probationary period. We share the success criteria. We say, when we come observe your lessons, this is what we're looking for. So at least you know we're coming to look for that you can work towards it. But there is support in place and we'll let you know by at least November if you're successful or not. Fantastic. Yeah, Darren? Yeah, just to underscore something Dwight said previously around BSO and checking that the school is BSO accredited. But not only that, um, maybe asking to see some things around the NQT program, um, uh, being, being, being really transparent about that what does the nqt program look like because you don't want to land in a place where you know you can't complete your nqt year and then you're kind of marooned here and you're in limbo should i go back should i stay you know you're making emotional decisions now um so have that all figured out as much as possible before arriving because i'm not sure if it's still the case um, in the UK, where you have to complete your NQT year within the first two years, within within training, um, and you know if your contract is two years, um, as most contracts start off with, by the time you come back, you'll have to start that whole process again, um, perhaps. So I, I would say that that's a bit of a deal breaker for for new teachers as well. Mm. Okay, so um, th this is so useful, honestly. I really, really appreciate this. So I've, I've only got uh, two more questions that I think I'll, I'll go through with you. And um, one of them will be about the negatives, really, you know, what, what they they need to know about and they need to be mindful of. And we'll end on a high with, with the socialite thing. Uh, now, I don't understand, Mike, what, what goes in Battersea, stays in Battersea, but uh, we, can, <laughs> we can at least talk about what kind of socialite to expect out in Casa too. So let's start with um, things that um, perhaps, you know, aren't the best about um, teaching, working, living in, in Qatar or, or, or anywhere abroad, maybe? I think you should just remember that it's not the UK. So when you come out here, it is not the UK. 
Uh, one thing, for example, I, I interview loads of staff and I always say to staff, okay, I won't be able to get back to you with a with the decision by the end of the day. Online in the UK, you go for a job, they phone at the end of the day and say, you've got it. It takes a bit of time here because of course, even though I make a decision on if you get the job or not, I then need to pass it through to uh, my, to the owners of the school for them to confirm that this is a person they need. So come re remembering it's not the UK where things always happen quickly. On the other hand, you have to be prepared for things changing really quickly. So, for example, I know recently we should have been on holiday for the rest of this week. And no, it's now Eid holidays and the holidays changed. Uh, the date was changed within maybe about three days before uh, before the original holiday should have started. And so things change quickly. And online in the UK where, you know, you're given a calendar for the whole year and then you need to go through some sort of uh, some sort of uh, consultation in order to change the dates. That's all what happens here. It changes. and We just need to move with it. Mm. Okay, thank yeah. you. I'll, I'll touch on a couple of points. Um, it's not unionized, um, so in a sense, you, you don't have that kind of support if something should happen. Um, you don't have that legal representation or any recourse to, to legal representation or, or backative in that sense. And I guess for some people, that can leave them feeling quite vulnerable. Um, so I would say that's really important to be aware of. Um, and being really clear about your, your almost like your raison d'etre in a sense, where a lot of teachers, they, they, they come, they enter the profession because of a strong sense of moral purpose, you know, especially around uh, social equity or, or equality. Um, I won't get hung up on the terms too much, but you want to do some kind of good for society in terms of, uh, deprivation, class, and things like that. Um, as Dwight alluded to earlier, you won't intrinsically find that here because it's just not that kind of context. It's, as Dwight said, it's not the UK where you have high pockets or pockets of high uh, deprivation. So, you know, you have to be really clear about, you know, maybe just your passion for education, period. Um, you just love pedagogy, you love curriculum. Um, and, and, and holding fast on, onto those things. Yeah, just I mean, to add, sorry. I'm just going to say we're paid in the local currency. So it's if the if the pound suddenly gets weak, then your salary is unaffected. So we're not paid in British pound in my school. You're paid in the local currency, and then that could also have an effect on the amount of salary you paid at the end of each month in terms of if you send that back to the UK on a monthly basis, that might change a little bit. Okay, so we need a strong pound. Um, we yeah. <laughs> I mean, just I'll just pick up on something you said there, um, Darren, um, about um, the, the context of of, um, of, of, of um, working abroad. Or, sorry, working in Qatar um, specifically. Um, you talked about the um, that you won't be able to, you know, demonstrate that you can work with deprived pupils and and, and that kind of stuff. Um, now, if you go back to the UK and you do go for a school that's in a very deprived area, would that be You'd imagine that would be a disadvantage, wouldn't you? I don't. I don't think so. I, I would think it would be a very narrow-thinking head teacher or leadership team governing body to make such a decision because there may not be a deprivation of income, but it, I think there are different aspects of deprivation, if you like. Um, so, yeah, to, to answer that question in short. Yeah, and as Dwight said earlier, um, 
you know, th th this is about being open-minded really as, as a head teacher. So, so for example, you know, th th surely a head, if a head teacher values that you've traveled, that you've lived abroad, then that's the kind of school that you would want to work in back in the UK, right? Um, okay, right. Uh, anything to add about that, uh, Mike? About, for example, what you, wh why you think that, um, you know, the, the grass might feel a bit greener on the other side when, when you are teaching in the UK? I think I was just going to, I just made a little note there about expectations, about what what realistic expectations should should anybody have about going to teach abroad in terms of, especially now with things like Instagram. I've got a friend now who teaches abroad and some of the stuff that she posts on there, she's going to brunches every other week um, and she's doing exercise classes, you know, next to the the ocean and all this kind of stuff. And you're looking at it and think, oh my goodness, that, that's, that looks amazing. Um, you know, accommodation looks fantastic and she's obviously going to be on, you know, tax-free salary and all this, that, and you know, but the, 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 quite the original thought that I had was around what, what should the expectation of a, of a teacher be going over to teach abroad in a place like Qatar in terms of what expectations should you have, again, uh, for local students as opposed to expat students and what does that mix look like and, you know, if there is sponsorships, do you get, because... The, I'd assume that it has to be hard to reach students within Qatar and within those environments. Um, you know, do those students get opportunities to come to, to British schools? And, and you know, what what's the best way to kind of manage the expectations? There's a question in there somewhere. If you can unpick it, that'd be brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I understand what you're getting at, Mike. I think one of the, just to, I guess, put in a nutshell what you're saying is, um, you know, what what does this typical classroom look like in comparison to predominantly local, mix of expat? Um, I would say uh, my first experience or some of my experience has been with predominantly local. Um, and I, I really hope some of my pedagogy, even as an experienced teacher, because some you have to unlearn some of the expectations that you've had from a UK context um, and rethink it. And I think, I think that's good. I think that's good because it keeps you fresh. And this idea of culturally responsive teaching to growing more and more or gaining more and more traction in, in, in the world of education and of how educators respond culturally to the, to the kids in front of them. And this whole one size fits all model doesn't work. As Dwight said, if you if you came out here and you've got UK experience, in fact, anybody would have UK experience, even from your, your block practice on your PGC. Um, you have to unlearn some of those things and really think about connecting with some of those students on a different way and thinking a little bit differently about what relationships look like and what the educational exchange uh, looks like. Mm. Yeah, it's just just, transferable stuff, isn't it? Of course. Yeah, I'd just chip in and say for teachers who are looking to come overseas, it's not to think of it as going on holiday. And I'm sorry to put it like that. And I know what you've talked about, Mike, in terms of being at the beach, those things do happen. But when you come to my school, I still want you to do outstanding lessons. I still want you to I still want you to mark the papers, I still want you to run intervention sessions. And all of those things do happen, but after after school, because of timing somewhat different, you know, we start early in the day. So for example, teachers are expected to be in school by about quarter to seven in the morning. It means that we finish at about half two, and that varies a little bit. The half terms also vary a little bit, but you still need to come out here to 
thinking, I'm going out there to work hard, I'm going out there to teach outstanding lessons, I'm going out there to ensure pupils are making progress, I'm going out there to make sure that pupils develop into rounded individuals. So that bit is still expected. I mean, online in the UK where, you know, there, there, there's rules and your union will support you in terms of admin tasks and so on. Again, depending on the school you're in, you'll be asked to do different things. And it's about coming with an open mind. And the bottom line is when you're coming thinking, this is not the UK, it is somewhere else. So almost put all your expectations outside and understand the culture and then just prepare to work hard. Mm. And of course, you'll still be able to be on the beach side. You'll still be able to have a, whatever you drink. All that will still happen, but you still have to put your head down to it. Okay, so, um, I mean, I'll, I'll ask Mike this, this one first within the UK context, of course. So I'm thinking, you know, you'd say you're 22, 23 years old and single and looking to make friends and everything. You get to your new school. You should expect people to take you under their wing and take you out and develop a good social life in the UK, shouldn't you? Absolutely, yeah. I think, um, I don't know whether or not it was just a process of me being, because I went into teaching relatively late, I suppose. I was 27 when I started. Um, and then as, as I grew older and kind of progressed in my career, I kind of, um, I, I kind of moved away from the social aspect of it a little bit. I think that was more kind of, um, a geographical issue and the fact that when we were in London, you know, it was very rare that you would drive to school um, and whenever you walked past a lighthouse, there was always at least somebody in, in the pub, it was usually Brian Caddis, but um, <laughs> <laughs> there was always somebody there and he was great at taking you in, under his wing and, and kind of passing that experience on. And, and I think that, you know, I, I think that, you know, the younger generations coming through now, there's not perhaps maybe that, you know, maybe just me being a bit kind of middle-aged now, I suppose, but there wasn't kind of the, there isn't the same kind of culture, I suppose, in terms of, you know, basically going to the pub because that, that was kind of what we did. But I absolutely think that if, you know, if we talk a lot about, you know, what's your values-based vision and do your research when you pick a school in the UK, you're the commodity, you're the, you're the, you're the resource, make sure that you, do your homework because you're the one that's in demand and pick the school that fits you fundamentally. Um, and I think that would be the same in terms of going abroad. It might be slightly more difficult getting access to talk to people who teach there and, and things like that to do a bit of detective work. But yeah, I think if you can find a school where there's a, there's a good level of camaraderie and there's a, there's a real community and a real culture of togetherness, I think that that absolutely will, will help you progress fundamentally mm -hmm. in both in terms of your confidence in your classroom, you as an individual, um, massively so. Excellent. Thanks a lot, Mike. Uh, so finally, uh, Darren and Dwight, really, within the CATA um, context, or the context of CATA. So, um, so if again, I'll go back to you know, 22, 23 years old, wouldn't that be lovely? And um, the whole life in front of me. And if I go to CATA, to teach in CATA, I'll look great on Instagram, everything, my life will look fantastic. I'll still be able to travel within the Middle East, right? I'll have to be able to do that the weekend. I don't know, uh, obviously post COVID, but um, what, what would you, you say to that? And I, you know, there'll be photos of me in fantastic places, you know, when I'm traveling, when I'm at leisure, going to great bars and everything. Um, what do you think? Obviously, you've got to work hard, as Dwight said. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think for some people, they can find it isolating, actually. Um, and as Mike you know, said, you know, a little while ago, that some people decide they get here, it's not for them. Um, and, and that's not the scene that they, they like. They might not want to go to the brunches and stuff like that. And 
you know, it might be too hot to walk and, you know, things like that. And, you know, nobody's kind of hanging out in groups in, in, in parks or stuff until it, until nighttime when it gets a little bit cooler. So some people do find it isolating because it is, it's, it's pretty quiet here. There is nightlife and there are things to do. But um, I think it depends on the individual, really. Mm. Okay. I think it also depends on the school you're working. A majority of my staff are pretty young. And so if you have like-minded people with you, then of course it makes it a little bit easier. And as Darren has suggested, there are a few who also find it uh, daunting and then want to go back home, but you just need to come and embrace and make friends and connect with the people in your department and, you know, make that connection in order for you to, to survive. I mean, Qatar is in such a central place where you can almost connect in Qatar to so many other countries in the Far East and in the Middle East. It's only 45 minutes to fly to Dubai. I mean, we're currently on eat break and I've had loads of my staff have flown to Dubai for the weekend or for the week. So it gives an opportunity to get into the other Middle Eastern countries and to fly further afield. So that bit of it is definitely here, but you need to come with an open mind, especially if you're coming on your own, that I will need to make friends. I will need to connect with the people in my department and I'll need to make sure I enjoy this. But you will mm. also find those who, of course, who will feel a bit daunted by the process. And uh, do you mind if I ask you, you both really, what, what's made you want to stay there for, for you know, to, to, for so long that you can actually become a senior leader, you know, to go right to the top within within the teaching profession? I mean, what do you love about the place? Um, it's ultra safe. Um, we can't say the same about London. As much as I love my hometown, um, beloved London um, but raising a family it, it's great it's so family oriented and everything is designed with families in mind as well which is great um, so that's been one of the, the, uh, the biggest uh, benefits for me really in the traction what about you Dwight? Now I agree with you Darren it's pretty safe you can get up and go outside at any hours of the day and you'll be fine uh, the food is great you get all sorts of food here. Food is great. Love that. Uh, it's 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 an awesome place to be. And one of the things I'd like to do is to become an inspector, possibly with HMI. I'm currently an inspector for British schools overseas, and I think in order to uh, inspect all the British schools, I need to be in a British school. So that's one of the things why I'm still staying here to uh, continue with that career path to inspect all the British schools around the world. Mm. Uh, I currently work in a really fantastic organization where they listen and they give an opportunity to progress. And I think you want to be in a place where you're given an opportunity to progress and move through. And it's a really huge organization, number of schools. It means and you're able to, I'll be able to move across to other schools if they, if I see that as an opportunity. And of course, if the management and the owners see that as something that they'd like me to do. So those opportunities are out here. And as we talked about at the start, there are more opportunities here than there are opportunities in the UK. Right, well, thank you. I really, really appreciate you taking your time, honestly, and um, taking the time to speak to us. And um, we'll be in, I will speak to you again soon. Um, you know, we're running on LinkedIn. And if you need anything, by the way, in terms of uh, recruitment or anything, just uh, give us a shout. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. That's all. Well, thanks a lot for listening and the best of luck to you. Bye.